and welcome to this episode of Cargo Facts Connect, the podcast of Cargo Facts, the newsletter of record for the air cargo and freighter aircraft industries for over 40 years. I'm Jeff Lee, editor of Cargo Facts, and it's Friday the 15th of December. Last week, autonomous aircraft developer Reliable Robotics announced that it had successfully carried out a remotely operated flight on a cargo Cessna 208B without anybody actually in the aircraft. I talked to co-founder and chief executive Robert Rose that day, but there was a lot that I didn't include in the initial story. So I wanted to bring you this very interesting conversation with him. Congrats again. I think it's important to um, clarify that even with your, all your previous tests, um, I believe that those were also um, remotely piloted. They just had the pilot on board to monitor everything and to make sure that everything was was working properly, right? That's correct. Yeah, we we transitioned to um, having our flight test organization run everything remotely um, several years ago. I don't recall the exact date, um, and we haven't really looked back. Um, uh, we I mean, we did remote piloting tests back in 2019, uh, and then we operated in a bit of a hybrid mode where we would switch back and forth between doing things onboard and offboard, and then and then we just we built up the capability to be able to run everything remotely. Right, right. And then uh, this, but this was kind of the the next step where you remove the pilot um, from the from on board the aircraft um, entirely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, from a purely technical perspective, really not a lot changes. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's really different is the level of analysis and preparation that went into this. Um, it's one thing to talk about, oh, we could take the pilot out. Um, it's a whole other thing entirely to actually do it. Um, and when you start working through the detailed safety analysis of um, everything you would do and various contingencies, it's it's quite involved. Um, and uh, the caravan is a bit more complicated uh, to operate than the Cessna 172 that we did back in 2019. And so, um, it, it was a substantially greater amount of work. In terms of um, the for this flight, um, what did the uh, pilot supervising um, everything? Uh, what did they actually have to to do, or did they have not have to do anything at all? Well, let me let me break it up into two parts and talk about the capability that the remote pilot has, and then we can talk about what they actually yeah. did the day of the mission. So we've devised a system that allows the remote pilot to command the aircraft. Um, you're, you're basically presented with a menu of options uh, based on where the aircraft is and what phase of flight. Um, there may be reasons to alter the flight path, say to do a um, maneuver the aircraft differently to accommodate another aircraft that might be flying in your vicinity, things of that nature. Um, or you may want to go loiter over a point um, until something is resolved on the ground and then come back in and re-enter the pattern. Um, so we, we have this this menu of options and everything that the pilot remote pilot can do is cross-checked and validated by our system to ensure it's not going to put the aircraft in any kind of precarious situation. Like you can't, you can't command the aircraft to fly too low to the ground or you can't command it to fly too fast or too slow, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so all of that's checked. Um, there's a number of um, 
alerts or monitors that the aircraft has on board um, that monitors its system performance. And uh, if any of those monitors activate, then the remote pilot can see um, that the aircraft has an issue that should be alerted and the pilot might take that information to decide to land immediately um, or perhaps um, go divert to another point and loiter for a while. Um, so that's that's the, the basic capability. Um, now during this flight, uh, none of that happened. So uh, the onboard system didn't detect any issues, so nothing was alerted to the pilot. Um, we didn't have any other traffic in the pattern, so we didn't need to do any kind of maneuvering. Um, so basically the remote pilot um, pressed the go button and then plane went and did its thing. Um, mm -hmm. Now the remote pilot still uh, has a responsibility as well to communicate with surrounding air traffic. And so we also have the ability through our control center to um, stream audio uh, to the aircraft and then it's broadcast out the aircraft. So there's a push to talk interface in the control center. And when you're holding that button down, you are on air and you're speaking mm -hmm. out through the aircraft. And so uh, you see in one of the videos, the remote pilot's doing all the same radio calls um, yeah. she would be doing if she was in the plane. Yeah. So you announce mm -hmm. that you're uh, taking the runway and um, or you're using the runway and you're going to stay in left closed traffic and you announce your yeah. crosswind, downwind, base, et cetera, all the, all the same things you would do if you were um, out there in the plane. Cool. You also mentioned um, testing some of the hardware. Does that include, um, and did this flight also test uh, the detect and avoid system with the air-to-air -air radar? Um, your colleague Miles Gunner actually told, told us um, more about this uh, in San Diego at our at our conference um, in October, but not yet. Um, okay. That's that's on the docket. Um, so that's one of the next big steps for us, but. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before you can fly beyond visual line of sight, you first need to be able to fly visual line of sight. <laughs> so, so this was a, a big step one. Um, and yeah, we're it, it's going to be some time though before our um, uh, detect and avoid system is fully ready for a test like this. But, but that's what we're driving towards next. Um, and did this flight uh, contain any uh, cargo or or anything like that? Uh, it. it Contains some memorabilia. Um, I wouldn't say this really newsworthy. <laughs> uh, it, it, this was not a revenue generating flight, so yeah. um, mm -hmm. it didn't have any customer cargo or anything like that. Right. Right. When uh, might you be uh, looking to to start testing with with actual uh, cargo on board, uh, but without without a pilot on board? As soon as it's certified. Um, our, our opinion is that the right way to bring these sorts of systems to market is to follow the process. And yeah. processes, you need to get this through the supplemental type certification uh, work, and then you need to modify your airline certificate to be able to use that STC equipment. And that's what we're working on. Um, that's what we're planning on doing. Yeah. So this is this still around the 2025 uh, timeframe? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. still it's going to be some time before we complete the certification process mm -hmm. and then and then you have to modify the airline certificate so it, it'll be right. some time starting with uh, your own uh, reliable airlines uh, certificate right that's correct yeah 
Um, mm-hmm. We started that airline to be the incubator, yeah. if you will, for for this technology. And um, our plan is to test things out there first. Um, and then once we come up with a strategy for how to modify certificates, then we intend to bring others into the fold and license it to them so that they can benefit from the technology as well. So now that you've done this uh, flight, um, when when is the next one? I can't talk about that quite yet. I mean, um, I, I did mention that there's going to be work in the near future on yeah. Beyond Vision Line of Sight. Uh, we have a pretty packed schedule of um, things that we need to test on the aircraft, getting to be prepared for that. Um, but I'm not going to... Okay. I can reveal our flight test schedule. You can watch us on ASB. Good for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, kind of on a related note, um, so you're, it's not like you're um, now going to switch to doing all your testing uh, without anybody on board, right? So you'll you'll also continue tests with um, the, the um, supervising pilot on board? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. I think it's going to be a hybrid going forward. I mean, there are times when um, it's, I think, valuable to to test with the pilot on board and, and times when it's not. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's one thing to just talk about UAS operation, and it's, it's very, very different um, organizationally, procedurally, safety analysis-wise to, to actually go do it. Um, and it it forces some very different conversations that I think are healthy and necessary. It also helps us build um, data for the FAA um, that they need to better understand um, what's involved in operating an aircraft in UAS. And it, uh, flight tests like this, I think, take it out of the academic realm um, and put it into nothing against academics, um, but it, it takes it out of the, the realm of theory, let me say that. Right. Um, and puts it into practical use. Um, and that's what needs to happen. If we want to make this sort of technology commonplace, then we need to start practicing it. Right, right. And, uh, you know, there are a couple of, at least a couple of um, other companies trying to do similar things with the same um, aircraft type, I might add. Um, yeah. It's, uh, so are you going to continue uh, testing with just this one um, aircraft? Um, we have, the way I'd answer this is there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, to complete the certification process for, um, full automation of an aircraft and remote operation of an aircraft. Um, and while a lot of this work is aircraft agnostic, um, the Cessna Caravan is our chosen platform. Um, and so there's a lot of business, financial, technical reasons it makes sense for us to stay focused on this platform. Um, there are other platforms that we are looking at, but um, I think what you're going to see from Reliable in the near future is a, a heavy emphasis on the caravan. Right. Um, yeah. No, but I guess I I meant uh, more specifically just this one uh, MSN that you were doing. Oh, oh, oh. Um, yeah, keep keep watching our ADSB tracks and look for caravans in in the vicinity. That's yeah. that's all. I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and uh, do you have a rough uh, ballpark figure for like the number of um, flight hour, unbrewed uh, flight hours that um, that you need to complete uh, for the certification? Oh, it's going to be easily. Um, it's going to be a big number. The important thing, though, that I'd stress is while there are going to be um, a lot of hours, and actually, it's not so much hours; it's more. Um, Takeoff and landing demonstrations is really what's critical here. We need to be able to show that the system works through um, all phases of operation, and we need to hit test points across the operating envelope. So we're going to need to distribute, uh, demonstrate extreme crosswind performance, uh, runway icing, slick runway performance, things of that nature. And so the, the hours are almost um, a consequence of the number of test points, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the thing, though, that I would I would really, really stress is um, all of this needs to be anchored in simulation. And um, I, I wish we <laughs> I wish we had a cool video or some kind of hip <laughs> press release we could do on our sim, because I think that's also an incredible component um, uh, that we've yeah. built here and a key enabling technology, because you don't just certify this type of system by saying, oh, we've flown it for a certain number of hours or, oh, we've, we've demonstrated this crosswind performance. Yes, you have to do that, but you also have to show that through very detailed analysis and simulation, the aircraft can do everything we can possibly conceive it may encounter. Um, and this is the way large jet autoland systems are certified today. Um, there's processes and procedures that are used for certified uh, um, fully automated autoland with CAT3 CILS. Um, we're leveraging a lot of those standards and we're extending them uh, so that they cover not just landing, but they cover all phases of flight, including takeoff and taxiing. In terms of the uh, the FAA, um, from from your perspective, um, how have they, how easy um, or not easy have they been to to work with? Um, in yeah, I these I tests? react to this one because I mean th this is why we started this company because um, I I had many conversations with the FAA. Um, at folks in the FAA six, seven years ago about this topic. And there was this perception out um, in the public sphere that the FAA is slow, they don't innovate, they're not receptive to these types of things. And if, if you talk with people in the FAA, it's just not true. It's just not reflective of the reality. The, the FAA wants to innovate. Um, People choose that job, they choose that career path because they want to be at the tip of the spear on new technology. That's that's why you go work for the FAA, because like, you get to see all the new stuff. But the the problem, though, I think people what people misunderstand is that they think that the FAA or the government is supposed to tell them how to do certain things. And it just doesn't work that way, nor do we want it to work that way in the United States. We don't want the FAA dictating to us how things should be certified. And so the burden is actually on industry to make a safety case and to show the FAA this is how we recommend this type of technology be integrated into aircraft. And the reason we started this company is because nobody had yet done that. And nobody had done it because it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of detailed... Um, 
very in in the in the weeds detailed analysis and so we decided we're going to do this and um we've been working through all of that very detailed analysis and it's taken a long time but um you know the FAA has been has been great partners i mean it's it's not all rosy but i mean for the most part like the FAA has been pretty darn good to work with um there's people there that really care about this they they love new technology they want to see this come out in reality or in the real world um it's of course it's got to be done in a safe way and so we don't agree with the FAA on how to ensure safety on all aspects of our system but i would say we agree on 99% of the important things um and there there've been areas where you know they they've challenged us on certain assumptions that we've made and it's i think that's made for a better system and we've also challenged them on things there's there's times when they they thought that we didn't need to be doing so much and we argue actually we do think it's important that um that we do this and so it's it's a learning process. Um, anyway, you got me going because this is like a, a a pinching a nerve kind of thing for me. Um, I think the the FAA has an unfair reputation in here, um, and so every opportunity I get, I try to correct that. Um, anyway, <laughs> did no, I answer uh, your question? Or did I yes. Yes. Uh, no. Good. Uh, <laughs> you clarified that. Um, yeah. No. Good. Uh, as someone you know who was working uh, probably with the FAA very closely every day. Uh, it's important to hear what it's like. So no, um, I think we're excited to see this uh, and we look forward to continuing to see um, the progress that you'll make. Um, but in the meantime, uh, good luck um, with everything that you've got uh, ahead because you know, now that you've done this, there's a, I think you said there's uh, this is in a way, uh, you know, the next phase of a lot of uh, additional work. So um, no, thanks, Robert, for your time. And, oh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Happy to chat. Thanks again, and congrats. Thank you. That was Robert Rose, co-founder, chief executive of Reliable Robotics. And that's all the time we have today. This was the final episode of the year, so happy holidays wherever you may be, and we'll be back in 2024. For more coverage on the freighter aircraft market, visit cargofax.com. Thank you very much for tuning in and join us again next time.